Warning, this podcast involves discussions of a spooky and graphic nature not suitable for children or the faint of heart. Strong language and mature content is present. Listener discretion is advised. You have been warned. When you want to hear about the paranormal, you get the spooked girls. True crime that makes you hypothermal with the three spooked girls. Stabby snippets will give you dreams. Tara and Jessica will make you. Along with the spooked girls Bring on the slaughter We on that haunted ground The three spooked girls Hey spooksters and welcome back to another episode here on Three Spooked Girls. My name is Tara and as always I am joined with my ghoul friend Jessica. Hello, friends out there listening to us on some sort of electronic device. Hello. And today we are going to be bringing you the Snedeker family haunt slash <coughs> hoax. Y'all <laughs> just buckle it. That's all I gotta say. If you don't know what I'm talking about, is the true story behind the movie The Haunting in Connecticut. So we gonna get into that. We have feelings. And this paranormal episode is going to be have a different feel than most of the ones we do, which is okay. A thousand percent. If you are an OG spookster, you will remember when Jessica was very skeptical of everything. Welcome back to that, Jessica. <laughs> yes. And I'll just say anybody new or newer, this is not probably the most accurate feel for our paranormal episodes. So if you're like, uh, give it another chance. Trust me, we do believe and support paranormal stuff, but not this time. <laughs> this is what makes people think that the paranormal isn't real. Yes. But before we get into that, if you would like to hang out with us on social media, we are on everything. Go to the link tree below and it will have little buttons that you can click to take you to our accounts. Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Our handle is at Three Spooked Girls. Jessica and I each have a TikTok. And also we have an awesome Facebook group that you can come hang out in. There's a lot of cool stuff happening. That's Three Spooked Girls Official. If you would like to support the show, you can head to the link tree as well, or you can go to patreon.com slash three spooked girls. For as little as a dollar, you get one bonus episode a month. Two dollars and up, you get slaughters, which is one of my favorite things in the world. It's just because bonus segment that's twice a month on different movies. The first one you get to guess and you get stickers that she makes. And then the second one is a movie recap, which is just always super fun. We always try to pick movies that sometimes fit into our area, but other times it's just fun ones. But I don't know. It's a lot of fun. I really like editing them and recording them too. So definitely check that out. And then from five and up, that's where you get live streams and video content and things like that. We have another series because basically our Patreon is like the extra podcast we would want to do, but we can't do it weekly. So it's over there. <laughs> <laughs> that is for five and up people. You get my Haunted Ground series, which right now is on haunted topics, but I'm worried one day I will run out of haunted objects. So it may 
evolve one day, but for now it is haunted objects and I give you a coffee or caffeinated beverage recommendation and that is all video. So it's a lot of fun. So definitely if you would like to support the show, check it out. And of course there is swag and some extra perks the higher you go up. And we still have our Krampus Day event coming up. It is going to be on December 5th at 5 Pacific time. We are just charging $5 to come to that. And everything is being donated to Toys for Tots. So it's kind of like a benefit event hangout thing, but virtual. And we're going to hang out. Uh, Jessica's going to pick a theme drink. We're going to do some, probably some activities of some sort. Jessica and I, we record early as returning spooksters know. So we are going to be planning that soon, and we may have some prizes we'd like to make that possible for you guys. But it'll be a lot of fun, so definitely check it out. But besides that, we are going to go ahead and take a quick promo break. And when we come back, Jessica's going to tell us our drink, and we'll dive into the content. Be back in a minute. When was the last time you watched a Disney movie? No. When did you really watch one of their early movies? My name is Jen. I started re-watching every one of the Disney animated feature films recently, and watching them with a modern eye made me say, oof, right in the childhood. Join me every Monday to learn the history behind each of these movies. And then, after I talk about the history and trivia for that movie, I'll summarize and react to my experience watching it as a modern feminist. Every week, you'll learn something, you'll laugh a little, and you'll realize that your Disney steep childhood was rife with hidden sexism, racism, classism, ableism, and more. It really will make you say, oof, right in the childhood. All right. Well, welcome back, guys. I'm going to hand it over to Jess so she can let us know what our themed drink is this week. So we are in Connecticut this week. Well, I mean, not physically, but mentally, we are in the state of Connecticut. Some of them might be physically in Connecticut. That's true. You and I are not in the state of Connecticut, I meant. We are not. (laughs) Anytime I think of Connecticut, I automatically think Stars Hollow. And I automatically think Gilmore Girls, which I was watching before this. And it was funny because earlier you said the podcast that we'd want to do. But I'm like, no, because we would do a rewatch Gilmore Girl podcast. Oh, my God. One day when we can afford another editor, this may happen. <laughs> the podcast you didn't ask for, but you're getting anyway. <laughs> <laughs> the one you didn't know you needed. Huh. So I was like, ooh, I'm going to, like, I was watching it, like, before we recorded, and I was like, I got to get a drink. And Miss Patty was on, and I was like, oh, Miss Patty's Founder's Day Punch. Because let's face it, if you're a Gilmore Girls fan, you understand that the Founder's Day Punch is where you fall in love with Paris for the first time because she shows a humanish side. <laughs> so what you're going to need for this boozy drink, one can of frozen raspberry lemonade concentrate, two cans of water, about three cups, 1.25 liters of Sprite, one cup of frozen raspberries, six ounces of Buffalo Trace bourbon, six ounces of New Amsterdam gin. I'm sure you can like switch those to whatever bourbon and gin you have. Um, You can serve cold or over ice with mint leaves if you want. And this recipe makes approximately eight glasses. Exciting. Like I said, we are going to dive into the Snedeker family haunt that inspired the haunting in Connecticut. Jessica's going to give us some early background info, and then I'm going to come at you with the spooky stuff. And we are going to probably debunk this so, so much. Um, (laughs) We have a lot to talk about. We have a lot to talk about here. We do, we do, we do. 
Okay, so first thing, obviously this is the true story based off the movie The Haunting in Connecticut, which is kind of like the whole like theme of the previous episode we did this month of The Conjuring House. So that movie was released on March 27th of 2009, and it was directed by Peter Cornwall, and it grossed $77 million at the box office. In case any of you are wondering, no, I have not seen it, because I don't fucksies with demon-y movies. Yeah, I I actually saw it in theater, but that was the only time I watched it. That's it. I have not watched it since. I'm super surprised you didn't make me go see it with you. <laughs> Tara will most likely, we'll talk about it later, but there is a book that this is also written about, and it's called In a Dark Place, A Story of a True Haunting, and it's written by Ray Groton, who, fun fact Tara, BT Dubs, was born in Redding, California. Wow, that's so weird. (laughs) Right? I'm like, what? And he's an American author, and he is best known for horror fiction novels, which is something you want to tuck away for laters. He's also known for doing fantastic novelizations, which I did not know what that was. Like, I kind of, I like, I understood it in context, but I was like, what is it really? It's when a derivative novel adopts the story from the work created in another medium, such as a film, TV show. So basically when they take like, like the Harry Potter movies as a novelization. So he was known for that. And here are some of the movies that he worked on, which I thought were fantastic. Invaders from Mars, The Fourth and Fifth Nightmare on Elm Street. Wow. Okay. One of my favorite movies of all time, Good Burger. (gasps) What? Right. And then Can't Hardly Wait. Also, speaking of Can't Hardly Wait, because uh, one Miss Melissa Joan Hart was in that movie, he actually worked on Sabrina the Teenage Witch, the TV show. Wow. The Secret World of Alex Mack. Also worked on Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Nice. And he has a couple pen names, which is Joseph Locke and Arthur Darknell. And he would eventually distance himself from the book In the Dark Place or In a Dark Place, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to tell you now, this house is an actual residence. I will give you the address. <laughs> that's the oxymoron of myself. But please be respectful that people live in this house. And it is at 208 Meridian Street in Southington, Connecticut. Prior to being a residence, it was a mortuary slash funeral home. Which, okay, like, honestly, I feel like... Unless your house was built recently, someone has died in your house. Just deal with that fact. Oh, yeah. So it was the Hallahan Funeral Home. But before that, it was built in 1916, and it was a house, and it was converted into a funeral home in 1936, and the Hallahan family owned it. In fact, the last person to receive services from the Hallahan Funeral Home was actually a Hallahan. So it was converted back to a house in the mid-1980s because I think it was just like nobody wanted to do the business anymore. So the house sat vacant for a couple years and then it was briefly a real estate office, which I was like, cool. They have like a, there's a Facebook page that like tells you the entire history of the house. Mm. And it's one of those things where there's not a lot of history known because, you know, this isn't like with the Conjuring house where there's like years of hauntings. This is something that was like really isolated. So people didn't think like, maybe I should write the history of this house down. It was a business for like decades, like 50 years. Right, right, right. So with that, like I said, it was briefly a real estate office, but then because of the surrounding area, the zoning laws, it had to be converted into residential, which at that point it was converted into a duplex. 
And here's the other thing. I'm going to point out that there's a lot of inconsistencies in the story. So many. And one of the biggest inconsistencies in the story is who the fuck actually is who. So they had like four kids. This family had four kids. It's the Snedeker family, the Snedeker family, however you say it. Snedeker. Yes. So basically, because of the inconsistencies of the story, we don't know the names of all of Alan and Carmen, who are the parents' kids. There are a couple nieces. One, his name is Kelly. She is prevalent. We will talk about them later. Alan was born in 1954 in Plainville, Connecticut. And Carmen was born on September 5th, 1955 in Biloxi, Mississippi. And then the other character that we will note the information that we have on is Philip, which is their eldest son. And he was born actually in Georgia on August 29th, 1973, just so that you know. He has since passed away. He died in January of 2012. And so basically, here's the other thing. Like, I read one article that was like, he was a, that Alan was a factory worker. And the other one was like, he worked at this plant. And this other one was like, he was in pharmaceutical distribution. I'm like, I don't fucking know what Alan did. Okay, guys. I think it changed depending on who he was talking to. But they actually lived in New York. So about 1985, 1986, Philip gets sick. And he actually is um, diagnosed with having Hodgkin's lymphoma. It's very serious. It's a, for, it's a form of cancer that attacks the lymph nodes. My mom had non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Very similar, but not the same. Anyway, but it's really serious. And especially because, like, at this point, he's, like, 13. Right. And they find this hospital in Southington, Connecticut, that specializes in this treatment for him. And they're driving, like, six to eight hours per day one way. Well, that's what they made it sound. But like then going back to all of my knowledge of Gilmore Girls <laughs> and they're like, we're going from Connecticut to New York City and we're going to be there in like an hour. And I'm like, <laughs> where, where are they living? That This is six. I mean, I get that New York is really big. And if it's up upper state, like. Yeah, if it's upstate, it definitely could have been like a hefty drive, you know. Right. So because of this, they were like, we can't keep doing this. Like the toll it was taking on Philip as well as like themselves. Like they were like, we can't, we can't live in New York any longer. So Alan stayed home with their other children. They had like another boy and I think either two more boys and a girl or one more boy and two girls. The problem with this is there's so many different versions of the story. I'm just like, stop it. And then like someone said one of their kids' names was Michael, but then in like another thing, it was like Matthew. And I'm like, can we just stop giving people fake? Can we just give them one fake name? Right. I think Philip's character's name was Matthew in the movie. I could be totally wrong. Steven. Oh, okay. Then his name in the documentary and in the book, I believe, is Steven. No, 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 no. I mean, in the like the Haunting in Connecticut movie. Oh, maybe. Maybe that's what it is. (laughs) But, like, the pen name that they used to use for him in, like, the series or in in everything has been Steven that I can tell. Mm -hmm. Um, Again, I have not seen The Haunting in Connecticut because I don't fuck sees with demon movies, especially when when Tara tells us what the demon he does. (laughs) Yeah. So this drive was getting way too much for Carmen. And I feel like from what I can tell, she was the parent that was driving most of the time. Like she was taking care of him. I feel like Alan was really trying to like support the family financially by continuing to work and then having to take care of their other children. So Carmen decides, well, I'm going to do when I drop him off for treatment, I'm going to go look for a place to stay uh, like a house to rent or something. They make this decision. So she starts looking around and she finds his house. She basically like the way she tells the story is like, 
I was just driving around all of these places. It was like the last one and I pulled up and it's like they were doing construction work and the price was just like really good and I didn't know why it was really good. So I got out and I go inside and the real estate agent's in there and the real estate agent isn't even really talking to me. And I start looking around, but there's all this construction happening because they're redoing it. So, but it was just, it turned out to be big enough that I could do it. And they told me that there was some space downstairs that we could convert into bedrooms and our sons could be down there. It'd be fine. Then they literally don't do anything else. And she just like, hooray, let's sign a fucking lease. They decide that they're going to move into this home. And so at first, it's just like Carmen and Philip and I think her other son. No, it's just Carmen and Philip move in at first. I think the others are back home like packing up. I'm just like, oh my God. So then eventually they all get there and they only live there for a couple years. But now I'm going to hand it over to Tara because literally this is the history of this family. And I spent, I'm going to say guys, I spent like a good four and a half hours just trying to Google shit on this family. And there is really nothing else known about them besides the story. This is true. Normally, like, you know, when we were doing the Conjuring one, there's actual facts about the different family members, the different kids. This one is so fucking shady that they're like, we don't want to tell you our kids' names because they're minors, which I get. But like, at some point, confirm the amount of children you have and their genders just so that I can report it. And if someone else is like, yeah, no, this is what it is. Great. I am just going to say I'm over this family already. (laughs) Yeah, they are not our faves at all. (laughs) Uh, okay. Similar to The Conjuring, haunts start happening right away. And I will just say, you guys already know our feelings about it, but I'm still going to report per what they say. We're not going to, we're not going to be so biased that we're going to be like, supposedly, and poke shit at everything. But we will poke shit in a little bit when we get to the Sally Jesse part. <laughs> oh my God. Yay, Sally Jesse. <laughs> oh God. Okay. So yes, stuff started happening right away. And of course, it was happening to the mom. So it's happening to Carmen. She had said, like, stuff would go missing or be moved, but obviously when you have a ton of kids, because, like, they have however many kids they have, plus their two nieces, so five kids total. So she wasn't super concerned at the time. She's like, whatever, kids will be kids. It's fine. We're trying to get settled in here. Not fucking worried about it. From here, Carmen and Alan reports that the children begin telling them that, quote, strange people were in the home and that they could hear whispering, but it was that whispering that you can hear it happening, but you can't distinguish what they're saying. You know, like we've talked about this in other haunts before where it's like you can just barely tell what it is and it's just because like it's the most annoying fucking thing ever. (laughs) Tara knows this because I have an individual in my life and these two people that I work with, they will be whispering to not disturb me, but it's loud enough that I can hear every fifth word, but quiet enough that I can't fucking eavesdrop without taking like, what are you, because also in like real life, guys, you probably don't need to know this, but I have sinus issues that drain into my ears. So like they get clogged a lot. So I can't eavesdrop as easily as I used to. So (laughs) it sucks. Sad, sad. But anyways, (laughs) so Alan and Carmen, you know, they brushed it off to the kids are probably having nightmares and just kind of like sketched out because they're like in a new house, that kind of thing. You know, like it's fine. Whatever. Every haunting story ever. Let's not believe the children. (laughs) I always like that it starts out with the kids being like, mom, dad, the house is haunted. And the parents are like, oh, you're an idiot. And then at the end, the parents are like, no, this house is so haunted. And you're like, "Mm -hmm. you didn't believe your kid 20 minutes ago, Sarah. Yeah, it's always like, no, it's fine. Cindy, you're not seeing a ghost. But she's like, at the end of the movie, when like four of their family members are dead, she's like, bitch, I told you three weeks ago we could have avoided this. But, you know, 
it wasn't too late to get our deposit back, Mom. We could have left. <laughs> oh, God. So from here, things would start to escalate. The family would report that they started hearing more strange noises and that there would be temperature changes in the house as well, like cold spots, things like that. Classic haunting stuff. Then one night... They hear Philip scream his head off, like completely terrified. So they're like, what the fuck? Because he's in the basement. So they run down there to see what's going on, make sure he's okay. Well, he tells them that he could see dead bodies in the wall. And he's like, look, don't you see it? They are right there. And they're like, no, we don't see nothing. It's okay. And then they try to blame him hallucinating due to his treatment he's receiving to rationalize which makes sense mm-hmm. i mean he could be having vivid dreams due to the chemicals being pumped into his body right other creepy happenings involve carmen again one was that she said she heard an unusual amount of birds outside so she looked outside and it was like a herd of birds i know it's not a herd it's like a flock or whatever but anyway it's a gang of birds just like circling the house on the roof on the power lines across so we know typically when this is depicted in a horror movie something bad's coming something bad is gonna happen when there's like all these fucking crows or if you like Shit's creek you think of moira <laughs> That, but if it is crows, it is a murder of crows. True, true. The name of a flock of crows is murder. True. How fitting. And another instance she talks about is definitely very, like, horror movie-esque. And it probably was somehow incorporated into Haunting in Connecticut. But like I said, I saw it when it premiered in theaters, so I don't fucking remember. And I'm not going to watch it again. (laughs) Not because I'm scared, just because I'm like, whatever. But anyway... So she's mopping in the kitchen, you know, as you do. She's cleaning. And she said that the water from her bucket looks like it was blood and that everything she had mopped was now covered in this blood and everything was red and it fucking scared her. So she screams. And then the children come running in and magically, guess what? It's all gone. My favorite part is in an interview, she says, I was afraid I was ruining the floor. And I was like, "Mm, that is not the thought going through my head if I am watching blood being like i'm mopping the floor with blood it's holy shit the floor is bleeding yeah exactly now with this story there's a lot of focus around certain things that happen it does involve sexual assault with carmen allen their niece kelly and the ghost slash demon just gonna preface that they uh and there's we've already mentioned it like six times. There's a Sally Jesse Raphael episode that's there on. They did a ton of interviews and TV appearances, but this is the one we have to talk about, just saying. So, first of all, you can watch this on YouTube. Please do. It's entertaining. So Carmen definitely up front is like the front runner and kind of like guiding everybody very much in charge, very much takes charge during their interview. She talks the most and she pretty much tells Kelly's story, which we'll get into in a second and all of this. So here's what happens, basically. She talks about how this demon raped the three of them on separate occasions. And I want to talk about Kelly first. So no spoilers, the story changes a hundred fucking times. But anyway, so so this version, she said she had came home from a date and she was getting ready, you know, like to go to bed and stuff. And she started feeling this heavy, evil presence. So she grabs her rosary and the demon is trying to open her hand and take it away from her. 
So she ends up like getting freaked out. And then Carmen comes in the room and Carmen's like, I didn't believe her. And, you know, da 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 da. So she was trying to suppose she brought a Bible and was trying to get her to like do Hail Marys or whatever it is. Then Carmen says she sees this hand go up Kelly's shirt over her breast and then like up through the wall. And then I think it was with this part. I don't know, but this is burned in my memory. She says that demon at some point in this does this evil laugh. And then she does like this like crazy maniac laugh there on the show. And I'm just like, what the fuck is happening? What is happening right now? I think she did it like, I think she mentioned it during this part. But like when she's in the bed, she did it there. I was like, what is happening? Yes. So this happens. And then the hand like goes into the wall and fades away. So Jessica just mentioned the bed, guys, because with Carmen and Alan, they're going to retell us too. And seriously, there's a motherfucking bed on the set, on the stage for them to go get into to tell their story. And the minute I saw this bed, I text Jessica. I was like, bitch, there's a fucking bed. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I had already watched this part and I was like, cause this, okay, like literally this is an iconic, if you, if you don't know who Sally Jesse Raphael is, like you weren't alive in the nineties because yeah. the show was like flipping iconic mm-hmm. in elementary school, high school and junior high. I went by the name of Jesse cause like everyone has the name Jessica, but because of her, I spelled my name with a Y cause I wanted to be fancy and sophisticated, but obviously she had people like this on her show. <laughs> I don't know how fancy and sophisticated she really was. Oh, gosh. Uh, (laughs) I also got the vibes that this was around Halloween time from some of the commentaries she was saying. So, like, it could have just been because of that. Support for Three Spook Girls comes from Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your man's family jewels. We're now in November, which means it's holiday season, so it's time to buy gifts for you and your man. I'm talking about the Manscaped Perfect Package 3.0. Treat your man or woman, and it'll turn out into treating yourself. Because, you know, who doesn't like a well-managed area? That's why this revolutionary company, Manscaped, has redesigned the electric trimmer. Their Lawnmower 3.0 has proprietary advanced skin-safe technology, so this trimmer reduces cuts on your man's nuts. It's also waterproof, which prevents a mess on the bathroom floor and in the sink, which I hate. Yes. Ladies, this is the perfect gift for you and your man. And trust me, he will thank you. And men, your balls will thank you. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code SPOOKEDGIRLS at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code SPOOKEDGIRLS. Naughty or nice, this is the number one gift on Santa's list. Hop on this trending sled today. So Carmen and Alan crawl into this bed, right? And they start talking about what happened to them. And basically... Carmen is describing that the bed has its own pulse, has its own heartbeat, all these things. This will come into play later with theories and with the neighbors because spoilers, like, I swear, the whole fucking neighborhood went and watched this taping because there's so many fucking neighbors there. So when she's talking about this, it really reminds me of, like, accounts with, like, sleep paralysis and stuff because when each person is having their attack, the other person's, like, staying asleep kind of thing. So it's like they're the only ones aware. So there's that. And she talks about how she feels a stinging pain in her lady bits. <laughs> well, stinging in her lady bits. And I was like, she needs a cranberry pill. <laughs> Literally. Oh, God. And then, so then they start talking to Alan and asking him. And he says he had been a- attacked as well. They get asked, obviously, like, why the fuck? Like, because 
you know, if you if you aren't familiar, they have like audience members ask questions. So like think like Maury or like, I don't know. I don't know what other shows there is right now, but like that. But like Dr. Phil, I don't know. Dr. Phil, they ask questions. I don't remember. I feel like when he originally started, this was very much the format, like Ricky Lake, Oprah, all of these people who had daytime talk shows. Yeah. Audience members could ask questions. It's not just a Jerry Springer thing, guys. Yes. So they had audience members ask questions. And one of the big questions was like, "Okay, you had all of these attack happen. Why did you stay there? Why didn't you say anything? Like, what are you doing? And they were basically like, it wasn't like a regular rape. It was with a ghost and all of this stuff. And they're so matter of fact. And it's like, okay, cool. But like you are saying these things actually happen to you and you have small children. What? You're just like, "Mm, they're fine. Whatever. What the fuck? When they're asked this question. The person was like, I would have moved out like the next day. Like this happened the next day I'm gone. She's like, you have small children. Mm -hmm. Carmen's like, exactly. We have small children. And then my favorite was the guy who was like, I slept in my car, my van, whatever. The street safer than your house, apparently. Yeah, exactly. Oh, my God. So ridiculous. And another thing with this and people also noted with like other interviews and stuff and someone in the audience does point this out. They sound they do. They sound very rehearsed. They sound very like just so matter of fact, like they had a script or something that they put together type of thing. This will very much come up with like theories and stuff. But I think it was worth mentioning because I noticed it, too, as soon as they started talking and stuff, because it was like right on cue. Kelly starts like, here, let me hand this off to you. And then Carmen swoops in and she's telling the whole fucking story type of thing. And it was weird because it wasn't even necessarily like Kelly couldn't tell. It was like she was looking at Carmen and she would like start to tell. Then she'd get teary eyed and then Carmen would wait and then she would be like, no, no, this is too painful for her and then speak for her. And then there was just a lot of times where like someone would go to talk and Carmen would be like, oh, just like swoop in like, nope, I got this. And start talking over them. Yeah. But with all of this. We need to talk about Philip a little bit because there is something that's serious that does happen. He's the one we've mentioned that has been in treatment and things like that. Besides the reports of seeing the dead bodies, that incident, they said he had a huge shift in his personality, that he had became distant, violent, dark, and angry. He had also picked up a new hobby. He began to write poetry. According to them, it wasn't about, like, happy things. They said it was very dark stuff, mainly with a theme of necrophilia. On top of that, one night, he would actually attempt to rape his cousin. Carmen and Alan did call authorities about this, and he was taken in. While in custody, he was evaluated, and he was actually diagnosed with schizophrenia, and he was sent to a mental health facility for 45 days. Something important to pocket. But what was interesting was this, was that Carmen absolutely lied about this situation in interviews, gave a completely different story on what happened with him. She would say he would, quote, play cruel jokes on the family and not even remember doing it. This is why they sent Philip to stay with relatives for a while, end quote. So she was trying to cover that. And that's something else to pocket. Now, since she's convinced that ghosts or demons are there, you'd think, okay, like we mentioned earlier, this is a great time to get the fuck out or help at this point. No. After their attacks, they're still like, no, it's fine. It's fine. And like Jessica mentioned, anytime she's asked about the kids, she's like, we got to stay here. We got to stay here. And in one interview, she even said, quote, children need stability. Hopefully it won't kill them. End quote. Hopefully. I'm sorry. 
if I lived in a house, like I get it. We talk about this and like there's a financial aspect to it, but they were renting this house. It wasn't like, you know, with the conjuring house where they like bought it during a recession and they couldn't sell it. Mm -hmm. They could have probably gone to their landlord and been like, something is weird with the house. I need to break our lease. And they could have probably paid a small fee. And this was the 80s. I'm sure they could have gotten out of their lease. Right. Lots of options for them. Also, as far as Alan goes, it was stated in some of the sources that apparently he was an alcoholic. And then when all of this stuff was going around, he was very much absent. But before his attack... He actually was very much like, y'all are full of shit, this is stupid, da-da-da-da-da. And it was said that he was so fed up with all of it that he unscrewed all of the light bulbs in their house because he was tired of everyone sleeping with all the lights on. Other reports would say, because you know they changed stories, that they they had done this as a joint decision because they were tired of the entity making the lights flicker. I'm sorry, I just love this family is like, it depends on their mood. Like, you can tell, like, some interviews, Alan and Carmen just had a fight because, like, the way his attitude is, is very, like, whatever. But, like, the thing they didn't get is that they're being fucking recorded. Right. They're not sitting down and telling friends and then, like, a detail changes and friends are catching you. Now, they're, like, talking to, like... Sally, Jesse, Raphael, like, come on. Yeah, and to add more into their, like, inconsistencies, so a lot of the versions they try to say up until a certain thing happens with Carmen, none of them had seen a full apparition except when Philip saw the bodies in the wall. But when you hear other stories, you hear that he describes to her in complete detail this man that was standing in the basement that wasn't really there. And then he was. there's another story where it's like there's a little girl who was messing with the lights and he thought it was like one of the family members. But okay. Okay, Carmen. We'll just pretend that none of that's happened. Okay. So with her, when she's seeing these full body operations, she says that one night she actually saw not just one, but two. And that, quote, they were incredibly powerful. One of them was very thin with high cheekbones and long black hair and pitch black eyes. And the other had white hair and white eyes and was wearing a pinstripe tuxedo and his feet were constantly in motion, end quote. Which if that was like true or you had like sleep paralysis and you were seeing this, ew, no fucking thank you. No, thank you. I like that one is like a creepy old vampire and one is just like a 1920s like party boy. Right, just like dancing around. But I'd still be like, what is happening? <laughs> I picture him doing the Charleston. That's what his feet are constantly in motion. Right? Oh my God, I love it. <laughs> so like right away, even with their friends and stuff, they they weren't quiet about this. They were like telling people what's going on and whatnot. And apparently one of Carmen's like friends slash co-workers, depending on what, how she's described, actually gave her the contact info for as Sally, Jesse calls them, Real life Ghostbusters, but we're talking about the Warrens again. Yes. I'm just always confused, like, how these people just have somebody's contact. Like, I have the Warrens' contact. How? Why you have it? It's at 1980s. Explain yourself. Right? Yeah, I don't know. But anyway, this friend had it. Apparently, Carmen took it, and she because she had that very, like, I'm scared to death, but it's whatever. So, you know, she's like, I just put it away and didn't think about it until after this night. Whatever, which again, it's like that whole like, okay, you're saying the two adults and the older child in your care is sexually assaulted, but you're like, whatever about it. What the fuck is wrong with you? What is wrong with you? That's all I can say this whole time. But it's fine. So anyway, so she calls Warrens and they're like, ooh, fuck yeah. So they're coming. And so the Warrens and then also a couple researchers that they that work for them, they come. 
And they end up staying with the family for about nine and a half weeks. That's a really long time. And they say that during this time, they experienced this evil presence as well and found evidence that the house was most definitely haunted. They said that the team had been, quote, slapped, beaten, pushed down to the ground, and that they saw doors slam by themselves. So they decide this was enough, that uh, this was all the proof they needed because they were convinced the house needed an exorcism. Now, there's a lot of controversy behind this on if that actually happened, because in some of their early interviews, they name drop. But then when they get later on and more deep in this shit, they try to call him Priest A. And they're like, the dude wants to be anonymous, which I mean, like, I get it. If a priest and stuff really did go there, like, he probably doesn't want to be bombarded with this bullshit. He's like, I just want to be left the fuck alone. You know, he was just doing his job. So there's very much, it's very much in question if this actually happened. Well, if you go with that, yes, it did happen. Apparently, after that, everything was good and the house was like cleansed and, you know, like this solved the problems. Also, Jessica mentioned that author earlier, right? Because the Warrens suggested to them that they should write a book as a part of the healing process and also to help others who might be going through the same thing. So they contact Ray and... He ended up thinking they were full of shit. Long story short, (laughs) he said in an interview, quote, I found that the accounts of the individual Snedekers didn't quite mesh. They couldn't keep their story straight. I went to Ed with this problem and he said, oh, they're crazy. You got to make up some of the story. Just use what works and make the rest up. Just make it up and make it scary. End quote. He's like, "Mm, red flags, red flags. Well, I mean, you're going to someone at this point in time is well known for being a like fictional writer. He's written several horror fiction books. And I don't know, it'd be like asking, I can't think of any other author right now than Stephanie Meyer for some reason. Stephen King? Okay, it'd be like asking Stephen King. No, because I feel like Stephen King has like more, I don't know, I don't mean to bash on Ray, but like, I think if Stephen King sat down and wrote like a like a history on some like scary thing, I'd be like, oh, it's Stephen King. But like, dude wrote Good Burger as a script. So. <laughs> I mean, not that I didn't thoroughly enjoy his work because I did. No, I get what you're saying. Yeah. So, yeah, essentially, it's like Stephen King deciding to write the book on Hamilton. You'd be like, I don't know if this is right. Yeah. So, like Jessica said, they lived in the house for about two years, and eventually they would relocate to Tennessee. And uh, down the road, Carmen and Alan got divorced, and apparently she is now working as a spiritual advisor or a spirit advisor and is planning to write another book or writing a book herself on her own experiences with all this and everything. So that's that story. But we're going to talk theories real quick now. My favorite part. Yes. And we're going to talk about this audience. So I'm going to lay out real quick kind of like the the two main theories and then we can dive into the neighbor stuff because they also bring up a lot of stuff for like how people started having doubts about this story right away. So they kind of go hand in hand, the ones I have. One of the theories is that this was definitely a ploy for money. You know, they were dealing with hospital bills. They had just moved to a new state, all of that. So they saw this as an opportunity to make money so they could stay afloat. There's also the theory that this was a cover-up for Philip because he had actually been the one attacking the family and they didn't want this to get out, you know, with everything because, like, he had cancer. You know, he had all this stuff going on. So they didn't want that to get out about him. And so basically they did this. They covered up for Philip. They had all of the kids. They coached them into having the same story. And then, like we mentioned, Carmen jumps in a lot and takes the reins and explains it to poorly attempt to keep her story straight. But also, it does get the money at the same time and protect Philip. So there is that. Now, I was dying 
This will either be your favorite neighbor or you will think this is the Karen of all neighbors. I don't know which to think. I was just rolling. I was rolling. She's my favorite Karen of all ever. Like she's both. Yes. Okay. So they're talking to this lady. I can't remember what her real name is because I was just so wrapped up in watching this. I didn't write down names. And she's like, you know, there was strange noises and it was late at night and it happened so much. I started keeping a journal and she whips out this full ass notebook full of fucking timestamps and her little notes. She's like, I had it on next to my nightstand. She the whole, whole neighborhood watch. Literally. Oh, I was about to say that. (laughs) She was like, all these noises were happening in the middle of the night and I just couldn't take it anymore and I wanted to document it. So I had this next to my nightstand. So when I would wake up with my pen, I would pick it up and write down what was going on. The first thing she mentions is there was like, I think some work going on or something, or there was these trucks that had chains, so they were dragging. So she's like, yeah, that would rattle the houses, you know? There is that. And then she was like, there was also these other cars who had these shitty mufflers or whatever the fuck she said. So they were really loud and causing havoc and stuff. And then Carmen jumps and she's like, I respect you, but no, no. It was like a Karen being attacked by a Karen. It was the most amazing thing because Carmen immediately is like, I respect her and I like her, but she's wrong. There wasn't a traffic issue. My floors would rattle and shake. I think what they were saying is they were redoing the streets, like big asphalt trucks and big construction vehicles. Right. And a lot of times when those hit like uneven road, one, they have chains on them to like pull and open things because it's like back in the day. And also like... They make big, loud thud noises that if your house, this house isn't like super close to the street, but it's old and, you know, things happen. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So, yeah. So that was a highlight of that episode. I loved it so much. (laughs) Another thing we didn't really talk about earlier, but it kind of fit here more, was that there was this big thing throughout this whole story that they had no clue prior that this was a funeral home, that Alan accidentally stumbled upon all of the stuff and saw random blood and all this shit. And the neighbors, half of the neighbors were like, no, the funeral home sign was always up. And she kept screaming, but the plywood, meaning there was plywood covering that sign, which some neighbors said, yes, there was. So that could go either way with that part. So some of the neighbors said like, yes, at certain points in the history of this family living there, the plywood was there. However, that would have to be disclosed. I feel like their laws would reflect that you like in California, you would have to say like a dead person was in this, like whether they died there or were like stored there. I'm pretty sure you have to tell people. That's a big thing. There's like human tissue and stuff like that. That would have to be reported. And then we're only talking like maybe two years in the in-between. They also like when they would talk about like what they found in the basement, they would talk about like, we found these like weird tables and all these tools. And he's like, and I know tools and I didn't know any of these. And then we found this freezer. I'm sorry. I would have been like, oh, this is a funeral home. There's like a drainage tube, you know, drains in the floor. There's a fucking freezer that can fit bodies. Right. Yeah, it's a funeral home. Also, it's suburbia. You could have walked over to your neighbors before you rented and been like, how's the property? And I'm sure the neighbor would be like, you know, I haven't had a lot of people live there. There's just like one lady that lives upstairs and like it used to be a funeral home. Yeah, yeah. And since Jessica mentioned this is a duplex, there was other people living there. And they're like, we heard nothing. We saw nothing. So... (laughs) 
Well, then she moved out because she couldn't take it anymore. And they were like, they couldn't, she couldn't take you anymore. I was like, it's turning into Jerry. Literally. Oh, my God. Yeah. Because there's all this yelling and talking over each other and arguing. And like Ed Warren is like such a dick in this. He is just like, you don't want to hear no bullshit. He just wants to be right this whole time. So fuck you. You weren't there is pretty much what he says this whole time. And then poor Lorraine is like sitting there. Were you in the house when it happened? Were you in the house when it happened? God. Were you? And like the guy is like, no, but I live next door and I've lived next door for like 20 years. Were you in the house when it happened? And I'm just like, Ed, calm the fuck down, dude. Like you're going to pop an eyeball. Literally. Literally. Oh, God. So obviously, like one of the parts in there, like when we've talked about like Philip and like the cover up of what he did, at one point they've brought Ed and Lorraine up on and then they bring this other guy up who I like because he's like the anti Ed Warren at this point. Like he's the other guy. And my favorite line he says, there's several things that happen in this little span of time. He's like, I've been in a lot of houses and Ed says this is like, you know, haunted, but I don't think he's ever found a house he didn't think was haunted like just straight calling him out like so much fucking shade like mm -hmm, every house he thinks is haunted oh yeah also another part of this is they move kelly which is the niece over with the neighbors oh god yeah so it's very confusing like aesthetically you're like is she on their team now i'm confused (laughs) why is she over there (laughs) she goes to talk right because she's like and then philip got sent to the institution and carmen immediately just shuts her the fuck down i think this is the moment like if she hadn't they didn't want to talk about the fact that he was in an institution and why he was in an institution because when you look at the story that kelly tells there's a story that one of the versions is she's back from the date and she's sitting on her bed, getting ready to go to bed. The entity kept like pulling down her bra. And it's basically like the same story that happened in a movie that was already out. So they're like, this sounds just like this movie. And then they like deny it and Kelly's story changes. And so there were other things that were happening, like the whole demon rape thing that was happening. Those were in other pop culture references and movies and books and stuff like that. And everything that they were doing was very public. And honestly, I just think it really was a ploy for them to get money. And the whole reason they were on Sally's show is because their book was coming out and it was Halloween. Like it was scheduled to come out Halloween. So you're telling me that this isn't like some sort of hoax to get money? Because if this was really a story you were trying to sell, you would put it out any time. Right. Yeah. Because at the end, she's like, whether you believe it or not, check out their book. It's like, yeah, that's absolutely why they were fucking doing this. So, yeah, obviously, it's no secret at this point. We're obviously team hoax with this. We obviously don't know what really has happened in this house, but I really think there was stuff going on with Philip and stuff that not only did were they see an opportunity for money, they also wanted to cover up and protect him, which is like, you know, you want to protect your family and stuff, but it's like, if you do horrible things, I'm sorry. You know what I mean? Right. They had money issues, like they were going to get evicted, like they were behind in their rent. Mm-hmm. And that is when they started telling all these stories. It wasn't like they started telling the stories right away. It was like, I'm having these money issues because their landlord, their landlord, like, basically spilled the beans to all the neighbors. Right. All these stories came out when they started not being able to pay their rent. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And how do you evict someone who says your house is haunted? Right. And then they have all the, you know, the family health stuff going on. Like, ugh, 
It's just not a good situation. But yeah, definitely think that uh, the Snedekers were looking for some money and figured out an opportunity and ran with it. And yeah, we are debunking this as bullshit. Yes. But it was still an interesting story to look into, and it did tie into the con, like the conjuring and stuff. You know, like it's all this theme of family. So this is why we were here, and you know, it also shows like we don't obviously believe in every single ghost story we hear. Mm. <laughs> There's a lot we do, but we are still got little skeptic sides. Like we were really excited about this before we did the conjuring, and then like one of the things in the conjuring they basically outed the story as being a hoax. Yeah. And it's, like, proven to be a hoax because of the inconsistencies. Yeah. I was just like, oh, damn it. Yeah, I know. I know. But it's cool. It's cool. It was all about, like, a learning thing, pretty much. Like, we get to learn about new topics and things like that. And, you know, some bubbles get burst sometimes. It's okay. But that is going to wrap us up for today. Thank you all for listening. We love you guys so much. Let us know your thoughts and what you think the motivation is behind this. Or if you think we're like totally off track and you think this was a true story, please tell us why. We would love to know. But we will see you back here on Thursday for another episode. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye.